you. He didn't soften it. He didn't mellow it. That's very significant. He amped it up. He was separating the tares from the wheat. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and unless you drink the blood, what is this, cannibalism? You have no life in yourselves. They were saying, good grief. And then he keeps it going, just driving it in. He who eats my blood and eats my flesh and drinks my blood, that's the person that has eternal life. That's the person I will raise up on the last day. My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father, Father in heaven has sent me and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he shall also live because of me. Their heads are spinning about now. They don't know what to do with that language. This is the bread. He's talking about himself that came down out of heaven. Not as your fathers ate in the time of Moses is the idea, but he who eats this bread, the bread of life, shall live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now, verses 60, this is our official text. That was all context. Many, therefore, of his, what? Disciples. Let me just translate that a little. Many, therefore, of his church members, <laughs> of the people who profess to follow Jesus, many of his disciples, when they heard this saying, you got to admit, this is a very difficult statement. Hard you got to admit there's a problem here. Who can listen to this garbage? But Jesus, he was conscious that his disciples grumbled at this. He's the preacher. He's getting a lot of backlash. He said to them, what I just said, does that cause you people to stumble and you kind of want to leave the church? I mean, basically, that's the analogy. What then if you should behold the Son of Man, that's a self-designation, ascending where he was before? What's that mean? It is the Spirit, by that he means the Holy Spirit, who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and their life. What's that mean? Get to that. But Jesus looking right at him, he knows as I, as a pastor, do not know. He knows all things. But there are some of you I'm talking to, you put that big D on yourself, you call yourself disciples, or as we would say, you call yourselves Christians. You don't believe. You're not really in the game. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe. He also knew who would betray him. That was Judas. And he was saying, for this reason I said to you, no one, he said this earlier, no one can come to me unless it's been granted to him from the Father. The phrase he used earlier was, unless he's drawn by the Father to Jesus. It won't happen. Never has happened, never will happen. That's a supernatural transaction that's occurred. 
every man and woman, boy or girl sitting here this morning, if you know the Lord Jesus, don't pat yourself on the back. It's because the spirit of grace determined Ephesians chapter 1 before the foundation of the world that when Christ came to draw you into his gracious arms of salvation. So, verse 66, as a result, many of his disciples withdrew. They pulled out of the church, the synagogue, so to speak. And they said, nope, we're not walking with him anymore. Then Jesus said, we got to have an elders meeting we got to, with some of you guys, we've, we've got to have excellent interviews. Uh, chase these people down wherever they are. We'll give you their addresses. We've got them on the church logs. Chase them down and talk to them. Find out why they left us. Didn't happen. Thank God. So many of his disciples withdrew. They were not walking with him anymore. Jesus said, therefore, to the twelve, Okay, guys, look me in the eye. See all those folks going? You want to go too? And then Simon Peter, good old Peter, he spoke up and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You're the Messiah. You're the one sent of the Father. And Jesus answered and said, and I chose every one of you, didn't I? I did, the 12. And yet he wanted them to know that he knew this was not going to be a surprise. Among you, I chose you, I handpicked you, but one of you is a devil, meaning Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For he, one of the twelve, was going to betray. Christendom, when I say Christendom, I do not mean the Christian church with a capital C. But Christendom, I mean that whole spectrum, that whole umbrella of everything that is called Christian, whether it is or isn't, in every age is chock full of disciples, both sincere and superficial. So the risk of being misled, if you're sitting in a church, any church, is everywhere. To to stay safe, your word from the pastor, one must know the signs and ask God for knowledge and discernment to find oneself into a safe spiritual space. One of the motifs, some of you will know this, you've been with me a long time, that runs through my teaching ministry is the notation, if you listen to radio, you hear it all the time, that once we get past the historical particulars, like in a narrative like this, overlay with history, once you get past that and get underneath it, once you get past the cultural layers of the biblical narratives, for example, what existed yesterday still exists or is happening in our own time. That's what makes the teachings of the Scripture so timeless and pertinent to our own day. I'm always after that. I'm always after that. I want to get down underneath history. I don't want to get down underneath the cultural layers. I don't want this to be a history lesson. It's that. 
I don't want it on me just be up here and telling you like I'm all informed about all the cultures. We got to do some of that. But I want to know, and I want you to know what this has to say to us today, because it always does. This text today is a prime example of the clash some of Jesus' early disciples had with Jesus. And it results, as you saw when I read this, it results in their sad departure from his ranks. Disciples today, no more tomorrow. All that is so contemporary. The same thing has repeated itself endlessly down through church history for the same reasons. And it replays itself again and again in the ranks of churches today. So it's also instructive and contemporary in so many respects. All right, let's go back to verse 60. We just read it. Now let's peel off some of the layers. Many, therefore, of his disciples, bang, it was disciples. When I was in seminary, a lot of good people, a lot of good teachers, but I heard a lot of garbage, and a lot of it's still around. And they said, well, are you a believer? Yeah, you're a believer. But have you ever become a disciple? Let me tell you something. There is no difference. Disciple, mathetes, means a learner. A learner means a follower of Jesus. If you're a believer, it's one and the same thing. If you're honestly and really a believer, you are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. But once in a while in the scriptures, the word disciple is used of superficial disciples, people who are dinos, disciples in name only. You had dinos right here. They had been traipsing around after Jesus. They were attracted to this guy. There was just something about Jesus that they kind of liked. And it was the same thing many of the Jews liked. Uh, he kind of looked like he might be a messianic figure. I've told you this so many times. He kind of looked like he might be that guy with his supernatural powers. They had seen him redundantly who would rise up and assert himself and ride it right in on a white charger, so to speak, and, and take on the Romans. And the Jews were ready for that. They were kind of white, like white nationalists today. Patriots. And this Jesus was going to lead them to the promised land. Well, he was going to do that, but not now, and not the way they thought. So they were disciples. They had many, there were many points of attraction to him. But they run out of gas right here. When Jesus starts using this language, eating my flesh and drinking my blood, what's he talking about? That kind of disciple has always been around. <clears throat> to draw the connection, I'm telling you, <clears throat> that is as big a problem today as it was then. Jesus, of course, knew all of this. But it's significant that he did not bother to call time out and explain. He made no move to soften or mellow out the language 
that he took offense to. A temptation for any pastor or preacher, it's all over the place. Uh, Gee, I've got a full church here. I don't want to lose anybody. So we got to mellow out everything. This is an illustration just popped into my head. It's got plenty of room for it. Don't have that much in my head. (laughs) There was a pastor, big time, big time. He became Bill Clinton's pastor. Later went down for moral reasons. But he was big all over America. Everybody's going to his conferences. By his own words, he would do this. He would write out his message during the week. And then he would have a team come in and vet his sermon for anything that might be off-putting, for anything that might offend anybody. He literally did that by his own words. I read them with my own eyes. Because you didn't want to lose any of those 13,000. You want to soft pedal anything that might offend. Law one, don't offend anybody. Well, listen, folks, there is no way you can teach the word of God. There's no way you can proclaim the word of Jesus. There is no way and not offend. The truth offends in this culture. It offends in every culture, every culture, in any age. You cannot tell the truth. You cannot preach the truth. So if you're a Sunday school teacher, you're an elder, you're anybody. You just cannot tiptoe around the truth. Now, there are ways to tell it, and I confess that yours truly sometimes may have told it like that when maybe a little softer touch would do. But uh, at the end of the day, if you're going to sit here, you've got to tell the truth. Tell it in love, but you've got to tell the truth. You can't do that. Jesus refused to do anything else. The minute he found their offense... He said, "Uh uh-oh, something's wrong here. Something's wrong here. So he didn't say, ooh, maybe I better back off a little bit and say, hold it just a minute, folks. I want to explain what I mean by this language that sounds rather cannibalistic. No, he left that to the Spirit of God. So he says, I'm going to up the ante. What I'm saying is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. They're missing the spirit of it because something's wrong in their heart. We'll get to that. So he ratchets it up, and uh, he watched them squirming in their synagogue seats. And uh, I've always been amazed that he does that. And uh, so he says, is that getting under your skin? You don't understand what I just said? Well, let me tell you something else. If that offends you, I'll tell you something else that's going to offend you. I'm explaining what Jesus says here. What's going to happen to you if you see the Son of Man ascending where he came from before? What's that mean? Well, it meant something that totally blew past them and I'm sure maybe the rest of his disciples. The first step to Jesus' victory, to his ascending back to where he came from, which is a claim of deity, they weren't getting any of that, is the cross. 
the cross is him being lifted up. They would look at the cross when they saw it. This is our Messiah. He's supposed to be the Messiah. We're supposed to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And here he is strung out on a Roman cross, naked as a jaybird. Bloody, bloody, bloody. That's our Messiah. No way, Jack, no way. But Jesus says, that's the first act of my ascension is to be lifted up on the cross, high and lifted up. What looks to you like humiliation to you Jews, call that our Messiah, is really my coronation, to be lifted up. You know, folks, sometimes, this is just a side point, sometimes in our Christian walk, the things that God does in our life, our lives, are the lowering of us. We may feel degraded. We may feel humbled, humiliated even. You know, they're the one of the first steps to God building us up and glorifying us in his end plan. Doesn't feel very good to us, but God is making us what he called us to be. And we don't see that at first. Jesus says, I came to die for your sins, to be an atoning sacrifice. But the way it's going to work out is not going to look very good to you, and it certainly did to them. You, you, can't, you can't call that guy our Messiah. Jesus says, that's the first step of my exaltation, of my ascension back to my Father. Then will come the resurrection, and then will come the official ascension. What are you going to say then? If you're offended now, when you see that, you're going to really be offended. You're going to misinterpret the whole thing. Then he says in verse 63, this is his explanation to those people. They weren't getting it. Look, people, you took my words that sounded to you grotesque. As I said, sounded a little cannibalistic. You took them at face value. You took them as um, literally like we were talking about munching on flesh and actually drinking real blood. You missed the spirit of the thing, but the Holy Spirit would have given them light if their heart had been prepared for it. You missed all that. You missed the point. If your heart had been right, the spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing, literal flesh. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. That's what you didn't get. I can stand up here. Now, when I say I, understand I'm speaking for all in my place, not me personally. A pastor can put it that way. A pastor, a faithful pastor can stand up here and we can preach the truth till hell freezes over. Pretty strong. And if a man or woman has an unbelieving heart, like these disciples did, and there are plenty of them sitting in pews and churches, they won't get it. They'll take everything wrong. And words that are meant for life will just be death to them. <laughs> Don't want any part of that. But their hearts weren't disposed to hear the truth. And only the Spirit of God breaking in 
will change that. So Jesus says it's the spirit who gives life, but the flesh, taking this letteristically, will not profit anything. The words that I've spoken to you, they are spirit. They are of the spirit and our life. I'll do more with that later on. But there are some of you who do not believe. You don't get it. Jesus knew from the beginning when he said some of you, he wasn't guessing. If I make a statement like that, I'm just guessing on the basis of history. I'm based on what I know from reading God's word. I'm saying something like that from what I know from almost 60 years of doing this work. But I don't know who. Jesus knew exactly who. He could look every one of them in the eye. He says in verse 65, for this reason, I have said to you, no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Now, don't let one person out there who's not a believer take care. I know I said this last week. Some things bear repeating again and again and again. Don't take one bit of comfort. Well, if that's the case, God hasn't drawn me, so God will have to answer for that. I'm not going to take any accountability because I didn't come to Jesus. He didn't draw me. Are you kidding? You know what he said to you? Whosoever will may come. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, do you come under that rubric, whoever? Whoever believes will be saved and have everlasting life. That invitation is there. Don't say, not my responsibility. I heard it this morning. That's God's. If God hasn't drawn you, it's because you don't want to be drawn. You haven't come because you don't want to come. And as I warn you all the time, there will come a point when you can't come. Well, For this reason, Jesus said that, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew. At that point, ah, we've had it. We're out of here. I've seen it. I've had it in this very church. I've said, no, I'm not Jesus. You knew that, didn't you? <laughs> I'm not the Lord. I don't have his knowledge. But nevertheless, I do his work, what he called me to do. I'm not the only one. I've seen it. People use all kinds of, heard of a lady had been in this church a long time. It's back after we got to come back after COVID and I was up here. I said, I don't say a lot, but I said something that I don't know exactly what it was that had a little bit of a political tinge. And somebody near him said, she said that morning, that's it. I'm out of here. They'll take a stand on political things, but not on Christ. Isn't that interesting? And I got a letter from another. Back same time, not the same Sunday or anything like that. And I still to this day don't know what I said. But as I say, I don't say too much. And they wrote me a letter and said, can't stand the politics. That's because the wife's very left-wing. And 
so we're going to go to someplace else where we can worship undistracted, meaning where we can go through church and not have anything that bothers us or upsets us. Same deal. Same deal. More about that kind of thing later. Well, it hit them all wrong. This language of Jesus scandalized them in front of their peers, their Jewish peers. I'll tell you one. The kind of thing in church, Adelaide. If I'd mention it, you'd all, most of you know. One Sunday, she told me over in the office. She said, Jim, I wish we wouldn't serve communion on Christmas Eve. I said, why is that? Said, well, I'd like to bring my friends, but they come and they get all uneasy. She meant they got convicted. What are we talking about here? That's wonderful. What are we talking about? Anyway, what I'm saying, what was then is now. There are disciples and there are disciples who are in it and know what it's all about. So anyway, Jesus knew who was real, the real deal and who wasn't. And anybody, you, elders, anybody, you got to know that. And you just got to understand that, that there are those who talk and there are those who walk. Well, Jesus let them walk. He did not chase after them, send a delegation of 11 to mellow them out and to persuade them to turn to the return to the ranks. So we move on. John, it's, it's all right. Thank you, brother. You're good. Look at this guy down on his knees. It's probably where I should be, John. You're a good man. I don't care what your mother said. <laughs> okay. I don't really need him to see you. I need him to read, basically. So thank you, John. So Jesus then looks at the 12 and he says, well, what about the rest of you? Decision time. Do you want to go with them? I mean, some of them are your friends. Some of them are your family. You know, you've been close to them. I don't know that that was actually true for years and years. And you kind of want to go where your friends are going. If my friends are going out, then I'm going to go too. You want to go with them? And I love Peter's answer. Lord, to whom shall we go? He got the point. He said, listen, you have the words of truth. The word of Jesus is a living word. We have believed and come to know that you're the Holy One of God. And Jesus acknowledged that tacitly without saying anything. And yet he wanted them to know that he knew all things, including the people in front of him. Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? I had a reason for that. That's part of the plan. He was referring to Judas. Okay. Now, let me make some applications. They're pretty important. Bear with me. Understand this. I've said it, I repeat it as we wind up. False and superficial disciples, they always have, they always 
and they still are and always will be. They abound in the ranks of Christian churches. Being in a church, being of a church, is not a reliable indicator of being in Christ. Don't ever think that. Number two, one of the most prominent signs of a superficial or false disciple, a Dino, disciple in name only, is their habit, boy, I have learned this, their habit of taking offense at the word of Christ. Their button is stuck on cultural norms called political correctness or personal preferences rather than the radicality of the word of God. Listen, as I said, I'm not about to be the Lord Jesus, not within a thousand miles. I'm just somebody God called, a flawed person he called to do this, like he's called many, many others. But I want you to notice what Jesus said. Would you go to Luke chapter 10, verse 16? It'll probably be up there. There's nothing wrong with looking it up. Jesus said this. It gives me a lot of comfort. The one who hears me, the one who hears you, hears me. Now, not everything I say, I'm not, I'm not that good, nor is anybody else. Not everything I say or teach will necessarily be four square with the teaching of the Lord Jesus. But insofar as any teacher, any preacher stands before you anywhere and what they have to say accords with, conforms to the word of Jesus, the word of God, it's like you were hearing Jesus himself. And if you take offense at that, you've got a problem. You've got a big problem. Think of this passage, a big problem. Listen to these, listen to this. John chapter 13, verse 20. They'll put it up there. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. There's a correlation there. People are very, very, I mean, have done as long as I've been alive. Uh, kiss him off. Preacher, I don't like the way he looks. I don't like the clothes he wears. He annoys me. Well, that's okay. Everybody's got a right to their own taste. But insofar as that guy, I don't care if he's a jackleg preacher, insofar as what he teaches accords with, conforms to the word of Christ, the word of God. It's just like Jesus were standing in front of you. Take it very seriously. Listen to First John chapter 4, verse 6. John says, the apostle, we're from God. Whoever knows God listens to us and listens to his spokesman. Whoever is not from God, and that's what's going on in this passage, does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And then here is Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 through 11. I won't go any further. For as the rain and snow come down from from heaven, do not return there, but water the earth, making it 
bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. God says, so shall my word be that goes from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing I sent it. The living word, the word of life, God's word makes alive, gives life. So we've just got to understand the seriousness of hearing the word of God and not just blowing it off. People who do that make a statement about themselves. God knows it. Put this down. I say again, any teacher faithfully, accurately teaching the word of God, the word of Christ, that teaching is as true if it were directly from the mouth of Jesus himself. To react against it is to do exactly what these disciples did. It tells a story about our hearts. So you be very careful about taking offense lest you find yourself taking offense at Jesus himself. Number three, it's not wise as a church for us to run after that type, to pander to their hostile feelings. It's wise, let them walk. I've always done that. Let them walk. No exit interviews. I know what the problem is. If their friends run after them rather than stick with Jesus, they condemn themselves. Number four, stick with Jesus and his word no matter what. That's what Peter did. Where are we going to go? You have the words of life. We're not going to run after our friends. I've appreciated that so much over the years when I've seen people do that. They want to stick with the truth. When Jesus says, my words are the words of life, listen to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. I'm sure it's familiar to most of you. The word of God, which is the word of Christ, the word of Christ is the word of God. The word of God is living. See, let me stop right there. You know, one of the troubles they had with Jesus, here he was just a humble rabbi, mostly in rags. He was the son of God disguised in the flesh. He just looked like an ordinary human being or maybe less than ordinary. And the Jews looked at him and said, Messiah, I don't think so. He's just a man. He's the son of Mary. We know his brothers and sisters. His father was Joseph, a carpenter. Messiah, no. That threw them. The ordinariness of Jesus. I mean, in his appearance and all that, no Messiah figure. Well, the same thing happens in the dynamic of teaching the Word of God. You've got a, you've got preachers, some good, some not so good, some ugly, some handsome, not very many handsome. Most of us look like a waste of horse flesh. But the Word of God, the living Word, a powerful Word that gives life, a life-giving Word, I don't think so. We don't take it so seriously. There's a real risk in the way God hides things. He disguises his power. 
in human flesh. And then take the Bible itself. The Word of God, the Word of God, living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Well, I open it up. There's just pages and there's print on them, all kinds of words, 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 chapters, chapters, chapters. I don't think so. The Word of God is just a book divided into other books, just a book. That's the way God has always disguised things. It's not just a book. It is mediated to holy men of old, as the Scripture says, by the Holy Spirit. And for those who have the hearts to receive it, it is life-giving. It's changed your life and it changed my life. It's just disguised. The people look at it and think, they throw it in the trash. But the Word of God is living and powerful and penetrating to the very joints in the morrow. And it's changed your life and it's changed mine. Don't ever underestimate this Word. I've lived long enough to see what it does, and many of you have too, and seen what it's done in your own life. So stick with his word, no matter what. They're the very words of life. And if you have life in Christ, you have it because of this word. I can get up here and sing my lungs out, and that can be good. But what we need is the word of God. It changes people. It enlightens people. It creates faith. It sustains faith. It cultivates faith. And it imparts life. And that's what Jesus was getting across. It also separates the wheat from the chaff. God does that. That's a good thing. So the garden doesn't get totally overrun by weeds. The Lord separates. And that happened here in this chapter. It's, it's an amazing dynamic to watch. Now, if you don't know Jesus, every Sunday there are people here who don't. I'm telling you that you must not let this thing run. Whosoever will may come. If you're whosoever, you may come. The word of God tells you this is the word of life, invitation to life, that you may have life and you may have it more abundantly and everlastingly, and that you may have the hope of the resurrection and the hope of ruling and reigning with Christ. But if you don't, the meter is running. In fact, I'm sitting here looking at it. 10, 38, 05. Danner's burning. I'm looking at it run down. I often do that when I'm standing in front of my microwave. Gee, that 10 seconds went pretty fast. Just think of my life. I just lost 10 seconds of my life, and gee, I'm old as Methuselah. This thing is going. It's going with you. You're deader than you were when you came in here. 
You need real life. You need it now because the point's coming when you won't have it. Whatever's left my life, it's a lot less than it used to be. You don't have forever to make decisions. And God has given you the opportunity to say yes to Jesus Christ. You won't have that forever. Just comes home to me more and more. That's one of the advantages of getting older. Is that all of a sudden your consciousness is raised. I'm sitting at home and I think I need to do this and I need to do I can't do that anymore. I need to get out there on that ladder and fix that. I wouldn't dare get up on the ladder. Shaky, me, not the ladder. No, can't do that. Oh, things are changing. Look at yourself. Things are changing. The Spirit of God is reminding you of, of your transience. Make a decision. If your heart is inclined to make the decision, it's the Spirit of God giving you that opportunity. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life, that which sustains life and that eternal, everlastingly. We're grateful. We're so grateful, our Heavenly Father, that we live in this country where the Word of God can still be heard, though it's more and more reaching famine conditions. We pray that you'll move and touch any who don't know you to rise up and to bow down and to surrender to Jesus Christ. We ask it all in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we close in worship, the ushers are going to pass around an offering plate this morning. Um, if you are visiting here uh, today, we, we like to say every Sunday, if you're visiting, don't feel obligated to give. You certainly can if you want to. Um, but we're just glad to have you here this morning. And this is our opportunity to express our gratitude to the Lord and to uh, give.